Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Fireside Chat for the Sales and Marketing Summit. Uh, my name is Meshach Weber. I'm from Loadshire, uh, the Chief Marketing Officer and Chief Experience Officer there. I'm here with David Hoffeld, uh, the writer of The Science of Selling, uh, all around uh, one of my favorite humans uh, and um, uh, somebody who brings uh, science and clinical based uh, uh, evidence based ideas to uh, sales and sales training. Uh, myself, I'm very passionate about bringing um, the same kind of evidence-based framework, uh, cognitive bias, behavioral design to marketing. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, hopefully uh, we don't uh, get too geeky, when, which we tend to do when we're sitting uh, having a whiskey together. Uh, um, so, so David, we were talking uh, recently about uh, uh, 2021, and, and mm. I'm seeing a lot of content coming out about uh, uh, you know how we're going to improve sales and how we're going to improve marketing in 2021. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff out there that I feel like either somebody's really trying hard to sell something, or they're on the wrong side of the Dunning Kruger effect. Uh, either one, you know, be careful. And whereas uh, if you if you follow uh, more behavioral uh, design approaches, uh, evidence-based approaches, if you follow uh, um, you know, Carol Dweck's mindset and, and uh, BJ Fogg's work around habits and, uh, and, and behavioral design, I think uh, that you're going to have a lot more success and you're going to have more resilient teams. Uh, and at least that's what we had talked about. So it wasn't just me that thinks this. Um, and we're talking about that a little bit today. Uh, um, I'm wondering kind of, you know, first and foremost, uh, David, what, what kind of comes to mind from, from, uh, from our, our subject today? Yeah, it's a, it's great. It's great to be with you, uh, Meshach. I always enjoy our conversations as well. And uh, you're, you're spot on. I mean, the exciting thing is there is so much powerful science that is so relevant to what sales professionals and marketing professionals do every day. And when you use this science, it really provides clarity as to why people do what they do. And knowing this really helps us be more effective. So you mentioned uh, the mindset. Uh, that growth mindset that Carol Dweck, researcher out of Stanford, kind of pioneered many decades ago. And there's been just so many studies, just hundreds of studies at this point on the power of this mindset. So first of all, what is uh, a growth mindset? It's this belief that through effort, you can improve your sales or marketing abilities. And though a lot of people in sales and marketing do have this mindset, there's also, a lot of people who do not, they have the opposite mindset, which she deemed a fixed mindset, which is the belief that really you can't do much to change whether you're good at selling or marketing. It's something you either have or you don't. In other words, salespeople or marketing professionals are born, they're not made. And what's interesting, Meshach, is when you look at the research on the impact these mindsets have on behaviors and results. It is staggering. I see this every time I work with a sales team. People that have growth mindsets set themselves up to obtain heightened levels of performance, and those who don't rarely do. Yeah. So a way to really predict who will become a top performer is with this growth mindset and uh, if you want to improve your sales abilities, adopting a growth mindset if you don't have one or just strengthening an existing growth mindset 
has also been scientifically proven to radically boost the likelihood that you'll be really successful in sales. But Mishak, I'd love to hear from you as well on this. What have you seen from a marketing perspective on the impact that growth mindset makes? Well, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I was reading recently about, uh, uh, again, Carol Dweck's article, she wrote an article about what it isn't. And it isn't just like over mm. the optimism, like, yes, everything, yes. every challenge is, is a, a success story for me. Just it's hidden in there. And, and every time I get negative feedback, the, the secret to my success is in there. So the, the, we all have, you know, varying degrees of, of fixed yes. mindset and growth mindset and varying different areas. And you're never going to be perfect. So I think that's one really important thing that I teach my teams is just to like be patient, be patient with each other. And I model a lot of times when something negative happens, I try to model that growth mindset of like, okay, you know, how do we see the opportunity or what's the silver lining? And what I've seen is that so the, the marketing teams are really good at taking chances they wouldn't normally uh, take, uh, you know, throwing out ideas just to see what, what might evolve into something and being more malleable through that process. So they don't want to, they don't need to own the idea. The idea is that we're all working together, that the success stories uh, within our group are not examples of greatness. They're not examples of somebody who is just better than us. It's an example of a success that we can model on uh, and we can build on. And so uh, what that's turned out to is, for instance, I grew a social media channel in the transportation space uh, from zero to 100,000 uh, um, followers uh, within, uh, it was about six and a half months. Uh, uh, wow. We got to 60,000 within less than four months. And um, a lot of that was growth mindset and another, um, you know, 60 billion dollar brand that I worked with in the transportation space, we uh, doubled their positive sentiment within two and a half months. And that was all through the team using this kind of uh, approaches where, you know, when a challenge came to them, they looked at it it's like, oh, what, what can I do with this? How can I grow with this? Uh, so those are some of the examples in, in the sales and uh, sorry, in the marketing team. And of course, what I found also is between sales and marketing, if they're using growth mindset, and also uh, uh, we talked about habits as well, uh, when they're using both of those things, the teams are, are, are much easier. Uh, uh, the ideas spread between the ideas, uh, the, the two teams better. They, they work more hand in glove. Yeah, I mean, you're, I think you're spot on. I think you hit on something really powerful, and that is the impact leaders can have in really developing, cultivating, and being an example of what a growth mindset looks like. Because when that happens, it just transforms organizations and the sales and marketing teams they're a part of. That growth mindset and really celebrating growth. When I look at some of the top sales leaders and what they're doing to really grow their sales, they celebrate growth. So they, they, they ask questions like, what did you learn today? Like always trying to keep front and center that, hey, we're in a hyper competitive marketplace. If we're not learning, if we're not moving forward, we fall behind, right? Mm -hmm. Just the status quo isn't good enough anymore. Change is happening too rapidly. The new competitors entering in the market space all the time. And so it's getting more and more competitive, which is why the growth mindset, I believe it matters today more than it did a decade ago and certainly more than it did two decades ago because it can be a major competitive advantage. And when you look at companies who really put that growth mindset front and center and really foster it with their teams, it can be it can mean a lot. And some practical things, too, uh, for our viewers on what you can do to really grow your growth mindset is number one. You know, really start to 
focus on growth. Ask yourself, what did I learn today, right? When you when something goes maybe not so good, to your point, uh, Meshach, when we don't, things don't turn out the way we want, we make a mistake, what can I learn from this, right? Mm-hmm. That is also really powerful. And then also, one thing that's really useful, I know Carol Dweck teaches as well, uh, to reference her work again, is using the word yet. So when you mm-hmm. say, I'm, I'm not good at closing the sale yet, I'm mm-hmm. not good at engaging potential clients yet, that idea that, listen, hey, at one point, I wasn't very good at selling. Meshach, you weren't very good at marketing when we first started out. It's a skill you develop. And mm-hmm. adopting that philosophy, look at your, your skills and abilities like a muscle, right? You continually develop. You don't go once to the gym and get a lot of muscles or endurance. You go over and over and over again. And that training produces results, results over the long term. And that's the power of a growth mindset. Right. And I have seen so much throughout my career when people have a growth mindset, they win. Yeah. Even if they don't have as much natural ability over time, a person who says, I'm going to continually focus on getting better and takes effort towards that versus someone who says, hey, either you have it or you don't yeah. or some hybrid of that. The person with the growth mindsets wins. They dominate. And I think in the future, this will be one of those things that will be more and more impactful as the world gets more and more competitive. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and keep in mind for for the people who are watching uh, um, that these you know there's a, tons of anecdotal stories in sales and marketing. Uh, um, the growth mindset is uh, an evidence based uh, framework. There's a lot of evidence uh, and studies behind it. Uh, um, you know, we don't just uh, rely on uh, Babe Ruth's uh, famous quote: uh, "You you can't beat a guy who never gives up." Which uh, there are mm-hmm. studies actually that show that people in growth mindset. A lot of times, people fix mindsets who who are good. They 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 grow and they get to a certain point and they plateau. Yeah. But then somebody who has a growth mindset can be slower than them, but then eventually, you know, uh, tortoise and the hare, they beat them. Uh, um, there's a great uh, uh, line that B- uh, BJ Fogg has about starting the morning uh, by saying, you know, this is going to be a great day. And if you don't believe it, then just say, this is going to be a great day somehow. And, you know, just the idea of just not yet, you, you'll get there. And, and that's all you need. And you can do that every single day, no matter how bad the day is, you can say that. Um, I think it's good, you know, to talk about the habits as well. We talked a little bit mm-hmm. about that, uh, about, I mean, one, creating new habits. Uh, B.J. Fogg's uh, book, um, Tiny Habits, is the most amazing resource I've ever read. And it's based on his work uh, um, in behavioral design or behavior design is what he calls it, that uh, uh, I've done and, and worked with uh, him on and done his workshop that I found incredibly powerful in, in marketing and, in, and also in the sales work, because there's a lot of crossover that we've done in the past. Uh, uh, but the idea that you can actually teach your team uh, uh, these new techniques and, and not just to change their own behaviors, as in the book Tiny Habits, but also uh, um, within the work that they're doing. And I know that we talk a lot about that, but uh, um, from a behavioral design perspective, we have both the observations of B.J. Fogg and the Stanford Lab, uh, and then also uh, cognitive bias and how all of that cognitive bias is just like this rich uh, uh, opportunities, these nudge points that we can uh, tap into to accelerate people's uh, um, trajectory down the sales path or nurturing path, whatever uh, the case may be. And wondering if you have any thoughts on that, where people can take that growth mindset and tie it into uh, those tactics. 
Yeah, I think uh, it's a it's a great point you bring up. All of us have these biases is how our brains are wired and understanding them can not only help us create context and environments that predictably influence people in a very predictable way, but also influencing ourselves. And there's a lot of these biases we can talk about, these little rules, if you will, that our brains follow when forming judgments. I know one of them um, that I've been using personally uh, is something called temporal discounting. Temporal discounting is a really interesting bias. It's why it's so hard for people to save for retirement in that future self under the bus. Exactly. We do this. We even when it's in the near future. Right. Um, So when we think about uh, what Friday night David wants to do versus what Saturday morning David will appreciate that Friday night David did. Right. I devalue what what me on Saturday morning will feel like if I make certain decisions on Friday night. And this is something that's really interesting. There's been a lot of research on this. Richard Thaler, a Nobel Prize winner, has talked about this. But it's helpful because we all devalue what's going to happen to us in the very near future, which is why one of the reasons, there's a few, but one of the reasons why we'll often procrastinate on things. We'll push things off that we really want to do, but we just say, well, I'll do it later, even though later on we regret that we didn't do it when we originally planned. So what can you do as an example? What does the research show? How do you fight against a bias like this when it's causing you to not do those things you actually want to do. One of the things the research shows is by really focusing on what your experience will be like in the future. For instance, one study found when they asked people, you know, how much of your income will you save for retirement? They will get a, 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 an amount. But when they had people look at pictures of themselves that had been aged to represent what they would look like at retirement and then ask them the question, Right. With that view of the future me, um, mm-hmm. people gave considerably more. So you and I can leverage that same idea is mm-hmm. when we when we think about, OK, what will my experience be like tomorrow? So, for example, I used this actually last night. I one of the things I've been working on this month is trying to lose a little bit of weight. And so uh, last night I always work late in the night writing. And so I'm often tempted to snack at night. And so I thought, OK, what will tomorrow morning, what will I be most happy with? And I thought, well, if I don't snack. And so that was really the only reason why I didn't snack last night was mm-hmm. I was had this idea in my mind that I thought, okay, what will tomorrow's David, what will he be glad I do here? Snack or not? Well, clearly not, right? When he gets on the scale in the morning, he'll be like, good job not snacking. And that was the little nudge I needed to not um, give in to something that I really didn't want to do, but was tempted to do. And there's a lot of these. Meshach, I want to hear from you. What are some things you found that can really help us create those habits and follow through on mm. those things we want to do? Well, you, you tie. Right, I mean, you tie right into uh, um, a BMAP, uh, um, uh, BJ Fogg's model, where behavior happens when you have motivation and ability and a prompt. And the motivation, yeah. you basically just identify motivation. Nobody creates motivation. If they're doing it, they're just Sisyphus running up a hill uh, or walking up a hill uh, and, and then back down again, of course, right? Uh, and then, but you focus on the ability, which is either making something easier or harder. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you focus on the prompt. Now, what you've talked about, you just talked about, you modeled uh, an internal prompt, which is the most powerful prompt where you're like, okay, I know I snack sometimes and I know this model of my future self and have this temporal discounting, right? And so, you thought about that 
and you 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 exercised it. So you had a you had a model, a shortcut that you little that you made, and then uh, uh, you executed it. And from a sales and marketing perspective, the really powerful, the most powerful thing we can do is we can repeat certain models for people. So what, and we tie it to a very specific behavior. So if you want somebody to buy at a certain point, or you want somebody to take an action on a website at a certain point. You think about very specifically what they're doing right before you want them to do the next thing, and then you tie it to that first thing, and then they're much more likely to do the next thing. Uh, mm -hmm. And and for in your home, if you're trying to lose weight, one of the examples is uh, reduce your ability. You know, put the snacks further back uh, where you actually have to dig for them, and you're digging for them, and you're remembering this is why I'm digging for them because I discount my future self. Uh, or in this in the case of a website, is reducing friction points. If there's something that somebody has to read and there's not a reward for that, there's no purpose other than maybe just to kind of carry the, the story along in a way that isn't meaningful, get rid of it because you're adding, uh, you're reducing their ability because the more you put in front of people, you create cognitive overhead and you make something harder. Um, so what I've seen, you know, like for instance, one, one website rebuilt just the homepage uh, and we increased uh, inbound sales calls 600%. And it was just mm -hmm. because we made it very simple, like you're here, you're here, you're here, then you do this. And then I rebuilt the, the software download page and originally it was one page, easy, right? Well, this company had been around since 1995 and I rebuilt it uh, um, and I actually made it into four pages. Seems totally counterintuitive, but I created a narrative where they understood I'm here, I'm here then I go here, then I go here, then I go. Mm -hmm. And it brought them in the story and we put little uh, rewards for every action and we increased software downloads 300%. So just thinking about, uh, I mean, there's a lot of other cognitive bias you tap into in a process like that, obviously, but the idea of like knowing right where somebody's head is at, like you knew, okay, at some point I'm gonna want a snack and then you, you thought, okay, when I think about this, think about my future self. And that's all it took. Yeah, uh, it's spot on. I think you bring up some really, really powerful points. Behavioral e economists call this like choice architecture mm -hmm. uh, is the word. So how do we architect choices in a way that predictably boosts compliance rates? And I think there's a lot of great research, again, um, that helps us be more effective by tapping into how our brains work. The more we can, can align how we sell and market with how our brain already works, the more effective we're going to be and the more natural something will feel to our consumer who's going through it. A couple of these um, little biases to leverage as well in sales and marketing. Uh, one is very common. One is social proof, right? Connects the persuasiveness of an idea with how other people are responding to it. So saying things like our most popular option or what most people in your situation will choose predictably guides people in a certain area because it de-risks the situation. Our brains assign less risk to something if a lot of people like me are doing it. And that's one thing to amplify social proof. Look for similarity. I'm more persuaded when people just like me are following a certain course of behavior. And so I'm very likely to do it. Why? It seems less risky, right? Our mm -hmm. brains don't like risk when it comes to decision making. So doing that, another one uh, is a single option aversion. This is really interesting. One way to increase sales and compliance rates as well is when you're offering a choice set, offering more than one option. Now, too many 
is not good. But what the research shows is when you only offer one, our brains are comparison machines. And so we like to, the way I get certainty is through comparison. Meaning if you show me uh, one thing, I'm going to compare it to what I what I think it should be, what I've paid in the past, what my expectations are, right? So that can often be harder to do. And as you mentioned, Meshach, the more friction, the less likelihood we'll make a decision. So when you present two options, and they don't have to be equal options, it can be very lopsided, but our brains instinctively compare A with B, and when we say A is better, that win de-risk the choice, and it makes yep. it significantly likely um, that you can you'll get a choice in that direction, which is also really powerful. One more that I I think is important too uh, for sales and marketing is something called reactants. This is really interesting because we've talked about what creates influence and boosts compliance rates. This is what kills it. Reactants kills influencers. Researchers um, stumbled on reactants over 40 years ago. And there's been a lot of studies on what it is. So reactance is the innate desire that we all feel when we feel that our ability to freely choose is being restricted by another, right? We don't like being pushed in one direction. And when you and I feel that, whether it's from sales or a marketing perspective, we as consumers instinctively push back. We want to exert our freedom. And so oftentimes, especially in the sales world, we'll create incentives to try to create urgency. But in doing so, we trigger reactants. And so we want to be really mindful of that. If you don't know what reactance is, it's hard to deal with it. But once you learn what it is, there's a lot of interesting insights from researchers on how to negate it. For example, letting people know that a choice is theirs by saying things like, it's up to you. Right. That takes away reactants. But reactants and urgency are two different things. So if you create urgency and reactants, if you reduce reactants, urgency remains. Right. Reactants is that feeling that Meshach, you're pushing me to do this or I'm pushing you. It's that uh, that person is inflicting their will on me. And I don't like that. So urgency Mm -hmm. is something different. And so when we reduce reactants by when we ask for something, say it's your choice or it's up to you. Now they see the ask for what it truly is, and they don't feel pressured by you. So they're responding to the situation and all that value you're creating, not to you pushing them to do something. So those are three real quick uh, Mm -hmm. little biases we all have that Mm -hmm. we can leverage when we're presenting to others to really boost compliance and really align how we sell and market with how our brains work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, thank you so much, David. Uh, this has been just a wonderful chat. Hopefully uh, we're not just geeking out uh, and talking each other about, uh, to each other about stuff that we find fascinating. Hopefully you, you share some interest here. Reach out to us. Uh, we're, we're both on uh, uh, the LinkedIn uh, and, and elsewhere. Um, obviously, uh, uh, David Hoffield's book, The Science of Selling, I highly recommend it. It is literally, it's, it's, it's tight, it's not, it's not fluffy, and it's, it's got some of the core stuff you need to, to understand how you influence people. Uh, um, and from my perspective, uh, uh, 2021 
cognitive bias is going to be the secret to really making a big difference because people are very, very overwhelmed. Uh, they've got a lot of distraction. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in their day. Uh, a lot of the news cycle is, is pretty challenging these days. And so you, making things easier and taking advantage of these kind of little shortcuts that we all have, I think are going to uh, serve you all uh, um, well. And um, that's why we want to talk about this today. Again, we talked about Carol Dweck, BJ Fogg, uh, um, of course, uh, David's book, Science of Selling. Um, thank you very much uh, for having us. Thank you for your time today. Uh, we look forward to talking to you again.